They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Hello and welcome to the Juan Juan Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, consider signing up for the Patreon. There you get ad-free content, early access, exclusive episodes, and monthly supporter hangouts. You can find it at patreon.com slash the Juan on Juan podcast. If you don't like the subscription-based models, there are other ways of supporting the show that are linked in the description. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Juan on Juan podcast with your host, Juan Ayala. See, it's it's trying to interrupt. Somebody was aware of what they were disengaging, and what I'm trying to say is that's why the sword and the stone, in my opinion, speculation was placed where it was at, so that it's a marker for here, right here in this spot, is the intersection of the Tulert current. Okay, of the three Tulert currents, this is where it's at, and I'm going to be presenting this in some future works. But I have found evidence that this sword imagery, sword and stone imagery, may have been dispersed in all sorts of places. And the code is, if the sword is embedded in the stone, then the energy is locked if it's in another position. And I'm still working that. But in my opinion, the sword being in the stone, we know that's from Arthurian legend and from the Disney Once in Future King movie. The actual underlying meaning is, in my opinion, that it's to those who will understand, that's where they can find that intersection. Welcome back to another episode of the One on Podcast. Make sure to follow the show on social media at the One on Podcast. All the links in the description, website tjojp.com. And enough of that. Today we have Walter Bosley with us. Walter, how you doing today, man? It's the first time I've ever talked to you. Yeah, pretty good. I'm looking forward to this one. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I know you're out of town, so we'll, we'll rock and roll here. And I wanted to talk to you about your book, the first book I ever came across of your work, Latitude 33, Key to the Kingdom, The Arcane Science and Hermetic yep. Engineering of the Happiest Place on Earth. How long ago did you write that? That was a while ago, wasn't it? Yeah, I researched it and um, started researching it in 2006 and wrote it through 2007. And it was published um, in early 08, I believe. Of course, based on or, or inspired by an experience I had back in 1981. But yeah, I wrote it uh, 06, 07. And for those that don't know about you, Walter, can you give us a quick, brief outline of you and, and where people can find your work if you've got a website? Because I know you also do publishing as well. Sure. Yeah. I spent um, 20 years in the U.S. national security community between multiple organizations. And when I uh, finished that, walked away from that, I I had founded a publishing company uh, just a few years before I left my profession. And so I focused on the publishing after 20 years in national security. And um, 
it really uh, it, it really took off once I started doing nonfiction. It started out as a as a adventure fiction retro kind of stuff, pulp type of adventure, and I uh, released the Disneyland book as my first work of uh, nonfiction. And uh, I'll tell you, I think I've come to about fourteen nonfiction books on um, seemingly disconnected topics but they all have threads that connect them involving um you know history and occult murder and all sorts of stuff but uh i can be found at the walter bosley channel at youtube every sunday is my live stream and also there is lostcontinentlibrary.com that's my publishing company name but uh, my books are all print on demand um, they can be found at lulu.com or Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Awesome. And I think I've read this book three times already. So I, and it actually inspired an episode I did on parallel 33. And I came across this because I was researching. I do a lot of research on Florida because I'm in uh -huh. Florida and we have Disney okay. world, the most magical place on earth. And okay. so I was trying to find some connections with Disney and, and just, you know, the usual cult connections that one can Right. assume that they had because i mean they're they're very powerful people and here disney world is on the 28th parallel and of, according to michael hoffman that's the the 28th degree and templarism is the degree of the sun and we are in the sunshine state i believe that disneyland is in orange county disney mm -hmm. world is in orange county over here as well so you have yeah. that like that double pillar the two pillars in between america pretty much and right you had a sort of synchronicity and, and I wanted to ask you, what are your views on synchronicities, especially when it comes to doing research? Do you take them seriously? Do you not? Because some people might think synchronicities are a bunch of BS. What are your, what are your views on synchronicities? <laughs> Those are the people who um, either have never really experienced them or they're in denial um, because that stuff's very, very real. And they're, they're there. They are part of the fabric of our whole reality. Um, and really, once you see them, you recognize them as they happen. Okay. Uh, almost like you can't, you can't really honestly ignore them. Uh, however, you know, you, you still shouldn't let them let them drive you crazy because it can, if you put too much energy into it, just, just recognize that um, synchronicity is something that generally tries to point you to something you should pay attention to something that is significant. Now, the way I approach it as um, a nonfiction writer, right. And a professional investigator is that I try never to, um, propose a hypothesis or, or claim something um, based on synchronicity alone. I will certainly discuss the synchronicities involved with a particular thing, but generally I try to find the uh, material or documentary or, or witness evidence to further back up what the synchronicities point to. So that's what I use them as. They're, they're road signs. Um. Yeah, and I, I use deja vu and synchronicities as a sort of I I, I look sure. at it as life leaving you breadcrumbs, whatever this life sure. is. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> or reality. Yeah, exactly. Leaving yeah. you little breadcrumbs. And if you choose to follow it, then so be it. If not, then whatever. And I and I look at deja vu as like if this is an echo in space and time, then I've done this before. That means I'm on the right track. That's how usually I, I look at, at deja vu and synchronicities, right? And then sometimes you see the, the, the numbers over and over again on, the, on your watch or whatever it is. So sure. in 1980, you had this experience at the... 81. 81? Yeah, I think it's 81. Or is it, is it 80 in the book? Yeah, it says in 1980, I was first introduced to the phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I get it mixed up because in 81, I was having more experiences that were kind of off the chart. But we'll, we'll trust the book because I was closer to the data when I wrote the book. <laughs> so you had this experience with this figure 
at the yeah. park at Disneyland. And yeah. was this some sort of egregore? What <laughs> were you initiated, Walter? I mean, I have so many questions. Do you feel like you were initiated? Are we initiated whenever we go into these parks? Um, except to that question, I, I'd like to kind of humorously say yes to all of it, because as you know, in the book, I, I propose four possibilities for the experience I had. Um, as far as um, in my research, I haven't done a deep dive on Disney world. I know of some interesting things about it. Like you pointed out the Hoffman thing and the 28th degree, um, there is a gentleman named Sesh Hari who's done some very interesting geomorphological um, the line of Dundee. analysis yeah. of, of Florida and the Disney Park and everything. But as the, I've done more of the deep dive on Disneyland, so um, I don't know if I can't speak to um, the experience of going to Disney World as a ritual because. I've never been to Disney World, so I don't know. I could walk in there and have a doozy of an experience. Now, Disneyland, as you know, having um, read the book, um, I think that the psychotronic device that I that I propose Disneyland was constructed to be was disengaged in 1982 when they redesigned Fantasyland. Um, rather than a ritual, I think it's more of... Uh, it, 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 it's the words are escaping me. It, it's intended to be an experience. Psychotronic is the word that keeps coming up, but I, I really do believe I am convinced that the man who I think did this, who appears to have engineered Disneyland in this way, I really think that he intended this experience of Disneyland as a device merely to enhance the experience of visiting the park, that it was not intended as some type of ritual. Um, however, enlightenment, right, and exposure to things could conceivably happen if you accept the hypothesis of it as a psychotronic device. You Are you familiar with the Pythagorean Palace idea? It's been a while. Refresh my memory. So a Pythagorean Palace is a, a building that is modeled after Pythagorean principles. And this is okay. during the Renaissance. And the idea being that if a building adheres to certain principles, it is able to encapsulate within that building a higher level of consciousness. So extrapolate that out. I mean, look at right Seshuri's work, also very influential to me. I've been reading the Handprint of Atlas. Amazing yes, work. And mm -hmm. the idea that if you extrapolate it out, you can have a park built yes. to certain adherences, right? Look at the Vatican, look at Washington, D.C., look yes. at all these different places. Now, how you're saying when we walk through these gates, yeah, there are the, the, these places have cult like followings. They quite literally yes. shape people's reality. I mean, look at Falconelli and the, the mystery of the cathedrals when they were walking into the, these cathedrals, pictorial magic, right? The right. images have more resonance with you than the actual words that you're able to read, right? And they do it for the for the sure. peasant class, right? The the uninitiated, the uneducated. So right. maybe perhaps because you said that it was C V Wood, the one that designed it. And then the yes. Disney World actually Walt Disney had died before it actually was built. And his bro although Disney, and I know this is later on in the book, was not a Mason, his right. brother was from my research, I don't know if you're familiar with his brother. I, I don't even know what his brother's name Roy. was. Roy. Roy. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, the idea being that if they build these places, right, you have the mystical toponymy. So you name it something powerful along mm -hmm. a powerful line. Right. And then you encapsulate it and use it as a sort of talisman, if you will, right? Because the sure. car the carousel, right, was, or carousel, was a type of talisman. I mean, that, that it was yeah. possibly charged. How you said it might have been the reason for why you met this alfred character which right because i i propose that the carousel is the um the the, the key mm -hmm. um the the key element of the machinery that is disneyland right 
it, it, it's, it, its rotation draws the energy up from the intersection of those three telluric currents. And then it, its rotation then spins out and disperses that energy right throughout the park um, as described. And certainly, I think that um, C.V. Wood uh, w w was consciously uh, aware of the potential for any kind of illumination beyond what, as I described, just the, the enhancing the experience of the park, right? So mm -hmm. certainly someone um, who is, let's say, at that crossroad in life, right? They're, they're, or, or if just the, the, their stars fall into place, if they conceivably were to be in the park when this was functional, um, certainly illumination and things more than just a, a nice day um, could happen. Yeah, and, I, and I, I went to Disney World not long ago, and I took a picture of the stand. I'll probably pull it up here in a little bit. I took a picture of the stand. It looked like a Stargate. I mean, it was mm -hmm. quite literally. It looked like a Stargate. And at the end of the at the end of the the day, they played like mm -hmm. they did this whole fireworks show. But it was very, again, very weird. And they're they are the most one of the most powerful companies in the world. I mean, for yeah. a reason. So using yeah. these these things in combination in conjunction because. You talk about how CB Wood went on to do other parks that weren't quite as recognizable. Do, do, yeah, do, he, he went and worked on several other parks, most of which don't um, exist today. Um, mm. And uh, he, he, I wouldn't say obscurity, but, um, you know, uh, he died almost in obscurity <laughs> he, mm -hmm. he he ended up in i think he appeared in a b movie and um you know a, a footnote for the longest time the disney company would never mention him in their history and their literature that that was only a fairly recent development and when i say recent i think in the last 15 to 20 years they finally admitted there was another guy who engineered the park going back to what you said about the pythagorean palace that that kind of reminds me of also the concept of memory theater. Are yes. you familiar with that? Yeah. And how memory theater can really activate And, and, and your energy is attached to that area of the model, right? Yeah. So if you have the simulacra of the... Because we know that they that they make the, the little models that they do, right? And then if they're able to... I mean, Seshari talks about it where the adept the magi, the magus, whoever, is able to tap into that. And we see this in shows like Stranger Things or right where she's able to yeah. see the picture of the, the Russian guy and is able to see where he's at in this astral realm, watery-like yeah. type of thing, very Gnostic. Yeah. So, again, I mean, I, I do believe that's part of it. And maybe perhaps these uh -huh. places I, I would propose are places of of energy harvesting in, in some sort of way, because I it just how mm -hmm. no, no, go ahead and finish your thought, because I, I do have a, a interesting, you know, uh, uh, perspective to share with you on the the common assumption about mm -hmm. what Disney Corporation might be doing with the parks. But... So I've always said that religions have their own pools of people that they are able to tap into. In a way, yes. so if you initiate people again, I mean, let's let's be honest, everyone listening, these are initiations because, uh, you know, Christianity they'll focus like, oh, magic is bad, but if you read the stories of Jesus Christ, I mean, that, that was magic. I mean, I grew up Pentecostal Christian where they dance around and do backflips and speak in tongues, so the supernatural, sure. right? It's like, oh, well, magic is bad. What are you doing, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah well, like, you know, Christianity. There's there's Chris, there's Christianity, and then there's what most uh, proclaimed Christians practice, and that's really could be called churchianity, mm. um, and they're not exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, the idea of harvesting energies right now we have them on both sides of the country. Uh, there's they're in Japan too, I believe, right? They have a Japan, a Disney Japan. Oh sure, uh, Japan, France. Oh wow. Um, yeah, and and I'm jealous. The one in Japan, my gosh, just the Adventureland part alone is like its own park, and so much better than the one we have in California. But um, you know, a lot of people. What I was going to say was what brought to mind was uh, was that a lot of people will ask me and and kind of make the assumption that 
you, you know, there, there was Walt Disney and then there's the Disney company as we know it, you know, today, especially. Um, and uh, uh, they would assume that, wow, if Disneyland and maybe whatever was done to Disney World engineering wise is some type of psychotronic device, you know, they, they must be using it for nefarious purposes. But when you read the book closely and you remember that I argue that the device that C.V. Wood engineered into the Anaheim Park, in my opinion, was disengaged in 1982, and it has not been active since then. And we've seen a decline in the physical quality uh, of the park, the experience, the quality of the experience has been a decline. And at the same time, you have seen the Disney Corporation become grow into this monster this rat almost and and really in my research all the nefarious things that you can point to connected with disney this all started long after walt was dead this all started as they pushed the family out and it, you know really it, it it goes back to the uh, michael eisner era when he first started running you know disney um when they when they redesigned fantasyland they moved the carousel back several feet 30 something feet it'd be intriguing to find out if the exact measurement is 33 feet right <laughs> but they moved it off the intersection and so therefore it's disengaged and in my opinion um disengage see the device was a positive thing it created positive energy it 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 uh, the happiest place it, on earth yeah. yeah it left people it would it would illuminate the mind and the consciousness so i think that kind of the illuminated mind um, is less prone to be controlled by or dominated, okay? So they don't want a bunch of illuminated minds. You're right. They want a captive audience that they can just, like you, I like how you put it, they can just mine their emotions and their psyche. Now, um, to give you an idea of, of what I'm talking about, um, let's say that Disneyland, within the context of the psychotronic device, up until 1982, was baseball. Baseball is a mystical game, okay? Um, it's a mystical game, a mystical sport. There's a lot of Freemasonry symbolism in baseball because it was invented by an American Freemason uh, right after the Civil War. And the game itself, it, it, the pace is different, yes, um, but, it, but it is a very mystical sport that works on the subconscious in a very positive way. Now, after 1982, when this device that is Disneyland was disengaged, um, Disneyland went from being baseball to being football, just a very base course, uh, you know, uh, just back and forth, get a touchdown, just boom, boom, boom. It, it Football is far lower in intellect than baseball is. And so it became football so to speak of the psyche as opposed to baseball on the psyche and i would argue that the big monster disney corporation it wants more of a a football psyche type of mass to work with and draw from because they're more automatons they're more base they're just easy more easy to manipulate so they didn't want to be illuminating the minds of their guests and the fans and such. No, they want a simpler uh, mind to control. And that's my view on on the Disney Corporation versus, you know, its early days, if any of that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And, and I think you called it a rat, but it's a mouse, Walter. Remember, it's, it's Mickey Mouse. Oh, that's right. It's a mouse. <laughs> and on that topic, so I'm going to be jumping around here a little bit. Sure. The idea that they're also able to use this energy to uphold and and birth into reality egregores i mean would you consider mickey mouse an egregore of some type that he has he is living right almost like this and they've also manifested him if you really look at it because people dress up in these costumes and they participate in this microcosm of a macro right the microcosm being disneyland here's how i would put it it's an artificial egregore it's a homunculus it's a synthetic egregore <laughs> it's artificial the true egregore would be what would manifest by the individual psyche and and it, mm. it's, if you recall in the book i i wonder who the alfred was that i experienced and if the alfred i experienced was an egregore 
that was, um, you know, what I personally experienced. Mm -hmm. So therefore it's from an individual mind. So in, in my your, view, it your friend saw him, right? Pardon? That your friend saw him with you, right? Yes, they did. So that's, that could put him in, that puts it in the column of, well, maybe it wasn't just a personal vision. Obviously it was somebody who was visible to my two other friends, which then points to either a doppelganger, meaning in the sense of, of, of a double where a, a man who is not the Alfred, but looks identical to him so, a, as a trigger for me years later to key on Alfred Watkins. Um, or instead of just a double, um, my favorite of the four that I propose, of course, which is probably the wildest and least possible, um, is that it was Alfred Watkins transported through space and time from England in 1928 to Disneyland in 1980. That's my personal favorite. That's what I, I would really love it to have been. But um, I, I would say that the, the real egregore um, is something that the corporate Disney would prefer not to deal in. They would rather have an artificial uh, egregore that they can plant like a, like an MK ultra false narrative in the minds of the masses. Do you know the definition of corporation, Walter? I'm I within this context, uh, educate me. <laughs> the etymological origins is an artificially created persons by a group of people. That's what the definition of corporation literally means. Okay, corporate, yeah, I've heard right? that. Yeah, yeah. Makes so sense. think about that, right? You have this corporation that is Disney, and then you attach sigils to it. So all these symbols yeah, and sure. and their pantheon. Let's get into their pantheon because we're talking yeah. about Mickey Mouse, but we have all these other yeah. stories that you talk about as well that they mm. have darker meanings and darker connotations right. i guess right the original stories and they take them they kind of invert them in a way in order to suit their needs with their people and then right. you have this entire pantheon of characters movies stories that have the disney twist on them except they're not as dark but does that negate the fact that they were dark to begin with how does that work do you have any any thoughts on that well, superficially, you know, of course, what uh, the Disney experience, right, is is uh, a palatable mythology, palatable to, um, you know, uh, uh, think about it. it. It was in Southern California, which was the golden place to, to go to in the 1950s. And it was first, you know, uh, uh, presented to a very American 1950s American population you know and, and so everything then was still in that afterglow of the war right where the economy was booming and everything you know appeared to be hunky-dory you know within the next 10 years we learned that it was not but uh, um, for the context of the time these were um, originally dark stories that of course were presented in that that again palatable light that was just the thing in those days. And remember too, you know, um, not that he did it for evil and nefarious purposes, but Walt Disney was, was a shrewd, um, he could be a, a shrewd businessman and, and um, producer specifically. And he, he knew he was onto a good formula with this Disney version of these things. People liked it. And, and really it was all about entertaining people. He, he, he liked fun, light entertainment. So it's just as much a reflection of the man as it was the, 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 the time, you know. So um, I think that, however, the fact that um, a lot of these stories started out as the really dark Grimm's fairy tales and other kind of myths and stuff that within the collective psyche we sense that there is something darker under the surface of the stories as Disney presented them to us. And I think he hinted at that. Look at his version of Snow White. You know, um, there's parts of Snow White that just scare the hell out of 
children. I, you know, um, look at uh, Sleeping Beauty with the dragon and, and the imagery of hell and, and such. Um, these were still the hints that there was something darker going on here. Um, and all it takes is for an interested viewer to then seek out those original stories and see um, the original versions and, and fill in the gaps, fill, fill in the blanks. But it could be that it was still maybe an un unintended result. It was still, as you viewed these Disney versions, something in the collective subconscious, right, of, of our culture and society was aware of the darker versions aware of the darker connotations of the events in the story and it uh it still intended or not activated something uh even from viewing the more the more happy lighter versions the subconscious was still processing this part of the pythagorean palace lore is and i've done an episode on architect as magician mm -hmm. because back then uh -huh. architects Ooh. were looked as as sort of magicians uh, architecture back then what the art of it was right the 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 architect with his stylus that was his wand it was yes. a sort of divination because they needed to predict of 100 years from now that foundation was still going to hold that building but one important right. aspect which really applies to everything if you uh, take it you know and, and extrapolate it the idea of what they call occulted scaffolding these that when the architect architect is drawing this building he's making lines that he will later erase well mm -hmm. the intention that goes behind these things that the occulted aspects right that yeah. are not seen behind the scenes also matter and that also influences how you're saying this subconscious realm and if we get into the archetypes and right Carl Jung and how the collective right that might that right. might be the other dimension that collective conscious where everybody comes together and these things come forth right whatever it is because they, they sure. manifest themselves always in these stories and you see them sure. over and over again the hero with a thousand faces and there's a reason for that right well a couple of things on what you just said there um, when you go back to the uh, the magic the the architect as magician I think you said. Um, I have experienced this personally with um, landscape architecture. There is um, a shopping plaza uh, near where I live out in a town called Rancho Cucamonga. And this place is called Victoria Gardens. And during my Empire of the Wheel, um, that's a trilogy of books I've written on what I think were occult murders over a hundred years ago during my investigation on all that, which was started as a follow-up to the Disneyland book. Um, I, I discovered that there is this ritual pathway uh, embedded in this shopping plaza called Victoria gardens. You start going, you start out by passing through two palm trees that for all the world are Jacob and Boaz, the, the pillars and on and so forth. I've, I've, talked about this on on my own channel and stuff and um i've taken people on tours of this and shown them so what you're talking about with architecture can also be applied very much to landscaping and i think both by the way what you're talking about of course were applied to um, disneyland and and certainly disney world but when you mention about how something will be drawn but can be erased you have to to, to really go out there okay on the hypothetical limb you know um, of speculation um, you have to ask yourself the architect draws something are we sure that what he erases from the paper is completely erased on the plane of intention in other words are those features that were erased from the paper are they on some other plane of the full spectrum of reality are they actually still there I would and say yes. only through the experience of, say, 
the carousel device being reactivated, the psychotronic device, can do they then come into your your visionary plane? It's like in the movie The Shadow, the one from the '90s, where you know the mist lifts, lifts and he can see the big temple there that he couldn't see before. And so, with architectural magic, is it possible that um, what is erased from the paper is actually there on that magical level? That's an idea that intrigues me. Yeah, the the actual architecture itself becomes a talisman. It becomes this magically charged thing. And can you pass? Can you pass into that dimension where what was erased on paper and what was apparently not built? Can you pass into that dimension where it is physically there? I don't know. That's an intriguing question, too. Absolutely. And and he goes on to say in, in Pythagorean Palaces, that it's usually the initiated are the ones that are aware of these, this occulted scaffolding and these occulted areas within these palaces, these Pythagorean Mm -hmm. palaces. And the idea that we have here, I want to talk about the paranormal and Disney a little bit, how you talked about how some people were afraid to be on certain rides, certain times of the day. Employees. Because the, the, these energies get stuck there, right? The the land itself had a history as well. And you said it's almost in like a bowl, right? Like like in the shape of a bowl. Yeah. So again, we have this resonance. Yeah, it was, it was on 160 acres of um, citrus grove property. And this one particular family owned most of it, if not all of it. An interesting side note, the son in that family, you know, he was a kid when the, when Disney's, the Disney brothers bought the property and Disneyland was built. And he was a long employee of Disneyland after that. They gave him a job, you know, and he worked there for the rest of his life. But uh, yeah, it was, and this is flat ground. If you've ever, you know, been to Southern California and you're in Anaheim, it's all flat terrain. And um, they did dig the park area. Um, they dug a bowl, which you can see it on maps. It's kind of an upside down, you know, with north at the top, it's an upside down triangle with rounded corners. Well, that's all sets down into a bowl. And the edge that is at the original ground level is where they put the um, the railroad track, where the berm of the park is. And when you ride the Disneyland Railroad around the park, that's the original boundary of the park. But yeah, it's da- it's down in a bowl physically. Interesting is, again, this idea of the energy resonating and being spat out into the spit back out into the world, because, I mean, they've quite literally transformed the world. And then I I don't know if it was you who said it or who it was, but Disney World as the eternal World's Fair. Was that you that I heard say that about before? Because Um, I think I've said that about Disneyland. Yeah, because Disneyland being the original. But but essentially, you know, the, the model of a Disney you know, Magic Kingdom is, yeah, you're right. It is. Um, and the pieces and, that they were using, the equipment, it was coming from expositions, from these world fairs. And he was yeah, like. Some of the, um, <laughs> like, It's a Small World was first built for the uh, World's Fair. Um, and uh, Carousel of Progress, uh, which was in Tomorrowland for a long time in Disneyland. That was something Disney did for a world's fair. And this is where they practice. This is where Disney Walt himself would, would kind of test ride concepts and, and things like that. Now uh, to go back to what you said about the energy, um, what I, what I point out in latitude 33 is because the park is in a bowl, it is my opinion. I could be wrong that the energy, which the carousel is drawing up and then spreading through the park it, it doesn't leave the park. It goes up the walls of the berm and then comes back down into the park. So it's contained this, this magical energy because, you know, back during the years when this thing was engaged, um, it, it, it really, you could tell that, you know, once you left the park and got out beyond that berm out to where the, the parking area was, you sensed it. You were back in the real world and it literally felt different. Um, whereas after that, me and the magic was gone. I didn't I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. And I put here when the 
The biggest impact of the fair on the world was the white city, especially at night. It was the first time in accepted history yeah. that such a large city landscape was artificially illuminated. And I put here as a note, they were quite literally the Illuminati. <laughs> <All right? laughs> yeah. The Illuminators. Yeah. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't C.V. Wood go on to work in something about the mind and consciousness later on? Was that him? Yeah, he was, well, he was involved with that before Disneyland and after, um, but uh, he was uh, a friend and associate of a philanthropist named Tom Swift, a a wealthy guy who, at the time, um, in the 50s, was known for uh, being avidly interested in stories of the Yeti, the abominable snowman, and, and <laughs> went on the search for him. But he um, and Stevie Wood and some others, they were the core founders of an organization called the Mind Sciences Foundation, which was getting into the the um, uh, psychic potential of the human mind. And so, yeah, C.V. Wood was really into this stuff. He was a personal friend of a guy, a psychic known at the time named Peter Herkos, who was in on TV and appeared in movies and stuff. Um, and so he was in that milieu, very much interested in, you know, any kind of uh, stuff like this. So it, it when you learn about C.V. Wood, you realize it was no surprise that he would have attempted to engineer Disneyland into something like a psychotronic device. It makes sense. And maybe it might have been why they kind of gave him the cold shoulder after the fact that they didn't want to be. (laughs) That was Walt didn't like the fact that C.V. Wood had started billing himself as the the man who Mm. built Disneyland. And because, you know, it was Walt's vision. You know, my thing is Walt Disney was not a bad man. Walt Disney liked the smoke. He liked his whiskey. He liked to cuss like a sailor sometimes. The man was not a perfect human being. There's not a damn one of us on this world that is. And But he was not. Some of the most ridiculous things are said about him. He, he was a he was a basically flawed guy, but he was a good man. And uh, he did have an ego. I mean, come on. He was Walt Disney. Look at look at what he built. Um, so that was really the impetus for why C.V. Wood was fired and, uh, you know, kind of, hey, knock it off. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's it's Walt. So it was an ego thing, an ego clash. There's only room for one demiurge around here. And <laughs> yeah, right. when, when these when these kings and and elites would have their palaces built they would they believed them to be alive they were the demiurges of these palaces and uh, i talk about henry plant how he calls one of his hotels his pet right here's my pet and it's kind of giving it like this connotation like is it alive is it breathing i mean they would they would think so back then i mean that's how they looked at it so this idea of like hey there's only room for one of us you know what's the saying it's like there's there's not not big enough for both of us or whatever however it goes yeah, yeah so let's see here uh, disney's father let's get into yes. alchemy here at the uh, you know because i like the fact that uh, i love the way you broke down alchemy i mean i always have tr- trouble breaking down alchemy and i always tell people it's like interdimensional and elias disney yeah i immediately thought about elias artista and i mean he was an artist I mean, if you okay. know the lore of Elias Artista, that, that's what I thought about when okay. when I thought about the Alfred that you met. I said, okay. right, this, if, if it is an alchemical vessel that Disney would be, right, you you're, you go in and you're spit back out a certain, you're transmuted in the process of this experience that you're having in this park. Well, what if certain people are chosen, Walter? And that's why I asked you at the beginning, were you initiated? Because this, this interdimensional alchemist that leads his pupils and and gives them the thumbs up like hey you're on the right track to achieve that magnum opus well interesting interesting question i have talked about and written about um an experience i had in december of 79 just a couple of months before this experience at disneyland and i have described that experience as an enlightenment or an illumination and basically in a nutshell it was I woke up one Sunday morning, December of 1979, and something was different. And the first thing I did was I held my hands up and I looked at them closely. And my first thought was, these are not my hands. And 
I went through the house and it, it, it was like, you know, there were my sisters, my mom, my dad, this was my home, you know, and stuff. But it, it, it I was different. And this just had happened in the night, uh, apparently. Um, now I since have some pretty wild hypotheses on, on what it was, but the result was whatever it actually uh, facilitated this yes, was, was something that propelled my consciousness and awareness forward. And it, and you know, I've, I've never thought about it exactly the way you put it in that what happened to me that, that night, that day might have been the thing that opened up my, the door to my experience at Disneyland a couple months later. I, I like that. This is why, see, this is why I love, you know, talking with people who have read the book and and you know pondered my experience because there's always something new that the experiencer will overlook that helps um uh, uh provide a greater grasp and understanding on it i i like that suggestion it, it's possible i think yeah because i mean you get into alchemy here you talk about let me pull it up here it's towards the end a little bit and I will say this real quickly that my my the man who became my mentor professionally and um with mystically um taught me things like necromancy as well as getting me into the FBI and in my national security career that's a whole other discussion how those two are married but um uh he did not begin his overt mentorship of me until I had had the 1979 experience until I had had the experience at Disneyland until I had had in January of 81 the most incredibly vivid dream I ever had that that parts of it continued to come true for 30 years um and and several of these what you I guess you'd say initiatory experience or advancement experiences and then eventually he emerged as as a mentor who you know pushed me deeper into the the weird stuff so maybe maybe that maybe disneyland was um part of an initiation interesting because if you look at it how true do you think it is that the idea because i know there was a part in here where they talked about how walt disney was at that that apartment up in the, I think near the castle or something, where he. Where oh yeah, presence... he had there. There's an apartment up in the castle. There's an apartment above the uh, fire station on Main Street, and there's one above the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. The idea. Do you have you heard the conspiracy that he froze his head or, or something <laughs> like that? Did you hear about that? Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Everybody's heard about that. Um, <laughs> I I don't think there's anything to that uh, at all. Um, it, it, I mean, that'd be cool if something if he'd done something like that. But <laughs> here's what's interesting about Walt himself. Um, he really, for, for all of the stuff we talk about and for his imagination, he himself was not known, not that I could find anywhere really like into occult things. I mean, for instance, it, the Haunted Mansion was his vision, but it was just from a fun, superficial, spooky, you know, mm-hmm. oh, a fun, spooky old, you know, carnival haunted house on steroids kind of thing. However, he became friends with Walter Knott, who founded Knott's Berry Farm. And Walter Knott was into these paranormal So what, the old the, town, the cowboy town or something like that, that he transplanted? Oh, yes. Tombstone, the classic <laughs> tombstone. The, the Several of the buildings in what's called Calico Ghost Town, out not far from where I live in Southern California, um, several of those buildings were in the city of Tombstone in 1881 during the famous gunfight at the OK Corral. And they were bought and transported and reconstructed in Calico Ghost Town, which was uh, built by Walter Knott and owned by Knott's Berry Farm for years. And um, I, I've known some uh, Native American paranormal investigators uh, who the, the rangers in the park won't talk about Calico uh, from a paranormal perspective. But the natives, uh, the, the Native American organization that's located right next door, they will. They will talk about what they've seen and encountered in Calico Ghost Town um, as regards spirits and things like that. But, but Walt himself, it's interesting. Um, Walt was just not into the things that, like, as we described, the man who, you know, was the engineer of his park. Um, you know, he just wasn't into that stuff. Yeah, like as far as evidence, right? Because, I mean, we could talk about what, because if, if they are, because Elias Artista, I'm thinking, and, 
I go was maybe perhaps Walt Disney, right? Like this, this seventh son of a seventh son or something where he was meant to be like the one to carry on the torch and build forward. So, you sure. know, like I, that, that's what I'm thinking when I'm reading and I'm, and I'm seeing these, these names cause they, they've, I've already had yeah. them in my mind. And so that's what, that's where my mind goes to. And I love the way well, that you, you remember, you remember in the book that, uh, that I talk about that Elias Disney was one of the construction workers who helped build the uh, white city of the 1893 world's fair oh, that you mentioned right. earlier. Yes, 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 and yes, so yes. Walt grew up hearing about that. The whole country did because um, that 1893 Chicago world's fair, I think a ridiculously high percentage of the American population went to that fair during the year it was open. It was just the most phenomenal event of its kind at that time. And as I talk about it in the book, of course, it influenced not just parks and amusement parks for, you know, decades after that. Mm-hmm. Um, it also uh, influenced how um, cities were laid out and designed, um, you know, municipally. Interesting. That's a, And there was also, well, the 1893 one, at least there was murders going on around that one. But Oh yeah, the the yes, but yeah, absolutely. Again, it reminds me going back to this idea of going there as some sort of ritual, and then you had all the elites there, all the Mm -hmm. the 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 biggest names: J.P. Morgan. You had Nikola Tesla. You had was it Westinghouse? I think it is Westinghouse. Yeah, Westinghouse was Edison. All those guys were there, and I mean, yeah, that would that would make a lot of sense. So. And the, the thing about this, I always reference alchemy and I talk about alchemy a lot because I think it, it pertains to everything in in reality because anything that is a, an exchange of energy is alchemy. So when you're going to these places and you're giving your money, that time and energy that you put into that money, you're exchanging it for this experience, right? Welcome yes. to Disney World or Disneyland or wherever you are. Have a good time and, 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 and enjoy yourself. But you're doing that transference of energy. And mm-hmm. so I love the way you put it here. Alchemy has four categories or levels, physical, biological, psychology, psychological, and transcendental. So mm-hmm. this idea that these places can have an effect on these different areas, right? Physically, they make us feel good. They tire us out. Biologically, I mean, they're, they're helping you release different chemicals in your brain. Psychologically, it's making you feel and you absorbing these things and then transcendental where i forgot where it was that i read but it talked about how you have right you always have this spirit body who's attached to you by a tether right this tether and i always tell people who don't believe in the occult they go i don't believe in any of that stuff i go that's fine you don't believe in it but your soul does right oh absolutely and and, And it believes in you (laughs) you know hey think about think about what you just described how you have this other part of you or this other you that is tied to you by a tether, right? Mm-hmm. Now go back to Disney's Peter Pan and his shadow and in the story from both, you know, and J.M. Barry's uh, original book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they chose to keep this in the Disney movie where his shadow leaves him oh, and wow. he has to sew it to his body. Remember, that's what Wendy is doing. I know, She's I've never reattaching seen the movie. his shadow and there there's your uh, symbolism of what you just described right there in one of the original classic disney films very very youngian right finding oh, yeah. facing the shadow and what does the shadow do it reveals to you the secrets of the secrets right the darkest yeah. and and everything so absolutely I, I haven't i haven't seen the movie okay so i don't know about oh, it wow. but... you haven't seen the original disney peter pan oh walter there's a lot of movies i haven't seen it and and i had a co-host one that, that would always give me give me shit for that like oh you haven't seen indiana jones and i'm like no i haven't seen the original it's like so there's a lot of movies that i that i have not seen so, well, you got something to catch up with. Yeah, I have here The Shadow, 1990s, and, and now we have Peter Pan, the original one. I'll watch it with my son and wife or something. So He'll love it, yeah. We have Alchemy, right? The, I love the way you broke Alchemy down and, and how you described well, that's it. that's standard. When, when, when you look at any standard text on Alchemy, those are the categories that, that are, you know, are long known to 
you know, be put forth is how you break it down. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And transcendental alchemy is what I believe my investigation has uncovered at Disneyland. This level of the mm -hmm. science is designed to raise man from the yes. state of nature to a state of grace. So again, this transmutation of people real time. And I mean, the, I believe, I believe that that is exactly what CV Wood was consciously intending to do with Disneyland as he designed it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense because that's an that's an interesting background to have and be involved. And in, and you called it. I I have it here where the the name for the the elemental engineering I believe it was called. And I have a friend of mine who he dubbed it, he's talked about it, these elemental technologies and the way, right, in, in a geomantic form where if you lay these things out, that's alchemy too, if you lay things out in a certain geometric pattern, yeah, you unlock things in reality. You're saying, what if this carousel and... And, and, and right, it was replaced with the sword in the stone, wasn't it? After the fact, the yeah, the where stone? the as near my measurements, my my calculations and, and analysis of physical Disneyland, um, I I'm convinced that where the uh, sword in the stone is located in Fantasyland is um, where the, the, the center of where the um, carousel originally sat. As near as I can tell from really looking at the old photos and looking at it mm -hmm. now and doing the measurements and stuff. And I think that was on purpose. See, I think that there was somebody involved with this redesign of Fantasyland, even if it was only one person. There was somebody involved with that redesign that knew damn well what they were doing when they disengaged. Walter, I think we lost you. Did your phone die? I'm sorry. Did we get, are we good? We didn't get disconnected. No, we're good. Yeah, you just blacked out there for a second. You're getting too close to the truth. Yeah, Walter. I, I, I got. I thought I had uh, uh, disconnected incoming calls, but one got through. So um, the uh, one to tell you saying, to stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah, and here's the funny thing: the phone call was coming in from Los Angeles, which uh -oh. is just right up the road from Disneyland. But that's another discussion. So. Um, uh, uh, as I was saying, I think somebody there goes again. Uh oh, some that somebody is calling Walter right now. I apologize for <laughs> they're 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 trying to tell me to stop. Um, and uh, anyway, th see, it's it's trying to interrupt. Somebody was aware of what they were disengaging, and what I'm trying to say is. That that's why the sword in the stone, in my opinion, speculation was placed where it was at, so mm. that it's a marker for here, right here in this spot is the intersection of the Tulurk current. Okay, of the three Tulurk currents, this is where it's at. And um, I'm going to be presenting this in some future uh, works, but um, I have found evidence that this um, sword imagery sword and stone imagery may uh, have been dispersed in all sorts of places. Um, and the code is if the sword is embedded in the stone, then the energy is locked. If the sword is pointing down to the stone, then the energy is locked. If it's in another position and I'm still working that, but in my opinion, the sword being in the stone, we know that's from Arthurian legend and from the Disney, you know, once in future King uh, movie. Um, but the 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 actual underlying meaning is in my opinion that it's it, to those who will understand that's where they can find that intersection mm -hmm. um, so and and again i think this was done on purpose because they wanted to change the energy of the park they wanted to change how they would harvest as you put it the energy of the, the people coming to the park it, it became a much cruder um less less uh, not a good intention thing do you think maybe there was a fight going on walter of of the good guys versus the bad guys uh, how you well, say because it changed after it was handed down to this more i will i will tell you that um i i uh i i think the bad guys so to speak were were very glad when uh lillian walt's widow finally passed because boy 
she was a staunch critic of some of the nonsense that the corporation would do and attempt to do. And um, so I think what we don't know about um, the, the conflict that you just uh, alluded to, I think what we don't know about that might tell the story on that. I, I think the, the family saw what was happening with the, you know, corporate Disney taking the empire over. And, um, you know, my impression is, is that, that the Disney family was never really happy with what corporate Disney has mm. done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And what I was talking about earlier is this Envir technology, uh, the envi envir technical where they enviro technical. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. And that, and, and it, go, it goes back to this idea of this elemental technology. We're able to lay things out in a certain fashion and things happen, things manifest, et cetera, et cetera. And to what you were talking about, uh, it kind of reminded me of Paracelsus. Paracelsus talks about pictorial magic and, and the, how, relating to alchemy how he said that the only people who were able to interpret these things were the magus or the alchemist right the spagyrist who was able to see these things for what they were and what you're talking about how you see nods to this well i was on a presentation last night where we talked about how they've watered these symbols down all the way down to colors right yeah. so mars the god mars was the warrior this strong and then it turns into armor turns into chain mail turns into the sword type of thing so again they're speaking to you because that symbol is sympathetically in a sympathetic magical way is mm -hmm. linked to that that the original intention because it, it goes back to the idea of the occulted scaffolding and it even goes into the idea what we're talking about that once you visit these places walter perhaps you are forever changed in some sort of way, in a sympathetic, magical way, right? The law of contagion. Yeah. I think there's something to that. And that might be, you know, part of what was um, in play at Disneyland when the device was engaged. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's see here yeah i think that that, that we can wrap it up on that because i mean we that was a crash course really on the book <laughs> uh, just speeding through here on the the notes that i had and i really enjoyed it and i and i've i did an episode that's coming out soon on that was i gave you credit i said this was inspired through walter balzi's work and oh, and you. i and i get into uh environmental psychology and how right these things shape us and i i Seshari well, talks good. I was just going to say, I can come back when I can stay longer and we can really get into more of these points. Yeah, yeah. And, and the idea, right, the world to stage. And I love the way that Seshari puts it in his book, Handprint of yeah. Atlas, where, right, the entire world is this memory theater. Yes. And we're leaving. That's a phenomenal book. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And and the way that you leave your imprint. In the, and you're charging these lines by traveling yes. along them and being present. And I, and I think that people don't understand these concepts that architecture, the, the right, I, I started researching the occult right. and all these things. And then I finally got into like, wait a minute, you can turn an entire building into a talisman, an amulet or something, right? Like, oh, yeah. what in the world? So that's how I came across this. And Walter, I really enjoyed this. We'll do one again soon. Hopefully, I know you're a busy guy. You're, you were a bit sure. slippery to really and people told me that you were slippery <laughs> to, to nail down i was like yeah, really? I mean, uh, yeah i've hit him up oh, I, and it ha it'll happen when it I've happens been, i've been told that i say yes to pretty much everybody um sometimes nailing me down on on the date um can can take a little while but um for, but you'll eventually get me so i would love to come back and talk more you're right this is just kind of a just a, an intro to where we where we could go further yeah, absolutely, and I'd I'd love to share my research with you on Pythagorean palaces and everything because that that goes Definitely. goes way deep. And Walter, uh, where can people find you once again? What was your website? And I'll put that in the in the description as well. But can you let the people well, know I have uh, my publishing company is called Lost Continent Library, and there's lostcontinentlibrary.com. But you can see me every Sunday um, on my live stream at the Walter Bosley channel on YouTube. 
And my books are all uh, available at uh, lulu.com. They're print on demand. It's worth the wait. And, um, you know, yeah, just so between all those places. Also on Friday nights, I do a radio show from uh, 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific time on the um, Independent Broadcast Network at independent-broadcasting.com. Awesome. Yeah. And I'd love to have you when we do this again, talk about these, the airships, the mysterious airships. Oh yeah. That's a <laughs> get into fantastic that. topic. I love that one too. Walter, thank you so much. And thank you everyone. You can find me tjojp.com at the one on podcast on all social media platforms. And again, as always see you on the other side.